You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Eric Seibert, author of the new book, Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. Now, friends, I am really excited about this episode, um, not only because I got to talk to someone whose book I really enjoyed, but because for you, this book is one I highly recommend. You know, I had to go to seminary, move to Israel, you know, spend lots of money to learn some of these things, and here they are in a book, and it's a really practical book for digging into the Old Testament and finding life there. And we are all about finding ways to connect deeper with God in our lives here at Rua Space for creating that space to hear God speaking. And one of the greatest resources we have is the Old Testament. And so seeing the different ways it can be engaged and offer life is really central. So I am really excited about this conversation today. Now, before diving in, I want to just share a couple things that are going on here at Rua Space. One, we have our Patreon page where we release different guided practices, live events, and series that also are meant to help you go deeper in your relationship with God. So when this episode releases, we are in the middle of our imaginative prayer series, for example. So if you're looking for ways for the Old Testament to come to life, this is a great series that I highly recommend. It's just a few dollars a month to be a part of Patreon. And even if you're listening to this after the series is over, it's up, it's available. And so when you join Patreon, you get access to all of the series that we've done, as well as the live event each month. Then we also have our Rua Space Christ-Centered Yoga Memberships, which is a space where we move, we breathe, we stretch, we pray, we meditate, we create space to experience God, to connect with ourselves, to become more present. And in that membership, we also have other guided practices that we offer. And so you can find a link to that below, as well as a link to Patreon below in the description. You can also check out our YouTube channel to see what some of those classes are like. And then finally, friends, I offer one-on-one spiritual direction, a space where we explore your story and explore where are you currently experiencing God or where are you not experiencing God and what would it look like to continue to take those next steps on the journey. So I'd love to set up a free call with you to discuss what spiritual direction is in case you don't know what it is and if we would be the right fit. So you can find links to all of that in the description below. But with all that said, friends, I'm excited that you are here with us today. I pray that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged by my conversation with Dr. Eric Seibert. Eric, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. What an honor to have some space to talk to you today. Thanks, Phil. I'm really glad to be here. Well, I really enjoyed this book, Enjoying the Old Testament. And as we were talking a little bit beforehand, you know, there's a lot of books out there that are wonderful books on Bible and theology, but they sort of float way up above the surface. And this book is really practical. Could we maybe just kick off by sharing, you know, what led you to write this? What was your purpose in in writing this book? One of the things that I've come to uh, realize over time is that for some folks, I mean, the Old Testament is difficult to understand, and and there are obstacles just in making sense of a different culture and, you know, writings from long ago. But I think even a prior concern for some folks is just a 
you know, a lack of desire to even read it in the first place. And so I wanted to try to write a book that would um, help motivate people um, want to read the Old Testament and then to have some tools and strategies that would actually help them to stay engaged with the Old Testament over the long haul. So it was kind of that practical desire that I had to really get people connected to these texts that, that led me to write this book. Yeah, I really appreciated that because you even said at, at one point, you know, you, the the tools you're offering don't require a ton of commentaries, you know, knowing a whole bunch of Greek and Hebrew. There's a there's a personal aspect to this that really came out that makes it to for me at least a very sort of uh, spiritual discipline practice, if you will, of making the text real for your life. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I, I, I want people to have a sort of a hands-on experience with the text and to find ways that it relates to their lives, connects with their lives. And, you know, realizing that every reader is a little bit different. There's some ways of engaging the Bible that we may find more helpful or more enjoyable than others. I've kind of given a sort of a broad palette of options. And hopefully within that, folks can find some things that are, are useful and that work well for them. So focusing on the Old Testament, I can probably already sort of feel the listener saying, oh, no, you know, like, like all the spiritual direction clients and they're like, I just read the first few chapters of numbers. Like, why did you do that? You know, like, why, why is that there? What do you, what do you mean? Read the Old Testament. Like I get sort of the popular stories, right? Like, okay, I'll read, I'll read the story of Noah, right? Or the Exodus, but the whole Old Testament, like, seriously, yeah, and I mean, many people, they have these very good, um, you know, desires to make their way through the Old Testament. They do kind of get stuck usually somewhere around Leviticus. So you kind of get through Genesis and Exodus, but boy, by Leviticus or Numbers, it's, it can be some tough sledding. So again, I do, I just think if folks have some other um, ways of approaching those texts, it can help you appreciate, it can help them appreciate them in a, maybe a different way than they've, they have before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so to start to dive in, you know, I'd love to start to just get into some of these practical things that you offer, because of course, you do spend a an important part of the book sharing, hey, here's some of the objections to, to why I don't like it. Here's some reasons we should read it. But if we can sort of get into the, hey, what do I do with it? You know, because for a lot of people listening, I think there is at least that intro, I would like to get more out of it. And one of the spaces I, I really like in the Old Testament are the narratives, the opportunity to enter into a story. So could you start by taking us a little bit into what do we do with some of these narratives? What are they inviting us into? Sure. Um, I mean, the narratives are probably my, well, they would be my favorite part of the Old Testament. I think stories are engaging. Um, stories kind of invite us to participate in them. We tend to imagine maybe, you know, who we identify with in the story. There might be a character that feels like their experiences, their situation is similar to ours. And that can be really helpful, I think, to connect with characters in that way. Um, sometimes we might think about like, if we were actually in the story ourselves, how would we be responding? What might we be doing? Um, so just that very kind of interact, personal interactive element of narrative, I think is, is quite helpful. It's quite helpful. Um, I think looking at the biblical stories um, a little more closely, there are things that we often uh, miss. Sometimes we tend to, to moralize the story and, and feel like there's just one main point that we should take away from them, which is often how they, often how they operate at, you know, in church, at, at, in Sunday school at younger ages. And, and that's understandable. You try to make a point that you can kind of help a, a child take away. But, but there's, there's many layers of complexity to the story. So 
in addition to trying to identify with the character, you might also think about what characters don't get a lot of airtime in the Old Testament and whose mm. stories don't we really get here fleshed out and maybe think about, wow, it would be interesting to perhaps even write like a first person narrative from that character's perspective, you know, using the details in the story that are there, but then maybe expanding them, building on them, reflecting on them. And that can allow us again to see more to the story than we've, than we've seen before. So there's a couple ways that there's lots that you can do with these stories, I think. Do you have questions that you sort of ask yourself when coming to a text to say, I mean, we have things like, okay, who are, who are the characters? What's the geography? Do you have sort of questions where you say, okay, these will at least help me to start to see beyond maybe just the one reading? Yeah, do you think one of the things that I find really interesting is to think about, again, and I sort of alluded to this a little bit, the voices that aren't heard as much, mm -hmm. or maybe there's a verse that just kind of in passing that will mention a group of people, but you don't really get to see anything or hear anything about them. Like what's their, what's their backstory? Um, what was their, what's their family connections? Um, it's sort of like in a movie, um, the director can really kind of guide what you see and know about a character. And the same thing happens in, in these biblical stories. Sometimes we're, we're kind of shown a bit into the life of one character, but we don't get to see much into the lives of some others. And so I do think that trying to humanize um, these folks, especially if they're, they're victims of violence, which there are many of these in the Old Testament, to try to think about, well, what's, what were their family connections? What, were their, what was their story like? Um, or how are they feeling about what's, being, what's happening to them, to their family in this narrative? That, again, gives us a whole different flavor. I mean, just as a quick, maybe for example, even taking something as dramatic as you know, the story of Noah's Ark, which we you know hear a lot about in church, it seems like it's a happy story about an you know an ark floating on the water with this you know zoo that's just going around. <laughs> but when you think about the folks who are outside the ark, mm. it's, it's a tragic tale. And so, to, and again, to think about those people and those individuals and to develop some compassion for them, I just find that to be really um, useful, and, and it, it opens up a lot more to the story than maybe what we would see at first glance. Yeah, and, and it goes beyond, like you said, then just the, hey, there's one way of understanding this text. That's the one reason it's in there. I know rabbinically, there's a saying that there's 70 faces to every Torah. You know, there's this like a diamond reflecting light, right? As you look at it from different angles. And so I, I love that invitation to say, yeah, look, look for some other characters because it starts to get past just the, oh yeah, I know what the story is about. And then it gets boring, right? Because it's like, well, I've read that before. Why read it again? I already know what it's about. I think that's exactly right. I think, I think those more popular stories, people kind of almost, I mean, internally maybe roll their eyes like, oh no, this story again, I've already heard that one. I kind of know what that's about, but I just find in these narratives just endlessly fascinating. There's so many different layers to look at. Um, there are things that you can look at like um, repetition, which we tend to find boring in modern writing, but in, but in ancient writing, they used it carefully and skillfully and artfully. So if something is repeated, Know, trying to notice, is it repeated the same way? Are the things that are added or subtracted in the repetition? And that can often give clues to what's going on in the store, can be used with, you know, with great skill and effect, or even looking at, at how people are named. Even the mm -hmm. fact that in the David, you know, in the David and Bathsheba narrative, Bathsheba is, you know, consistently referred to as the wife of Uriah. Again, to let us remember that what's so problematic here is that not that David has taken another wife, you know, in, in the ancient world, kings could have multiple wives, but the fact that he's taken someone else's wife, that's what's so problematic. And so even just the way she's named is, can be really interesting. So those paying attention to details like that, again, 
uh, give the text a lot more richness and, and depth. Yeah, I really appreciated the First Nations translation of the Bible came out recently, also by IVP. So quick plug, highly recommend that. <laughs> but they they replace often the name of the character with the, the meaning, right, which is what the name actually meant. And it brings out something beautiful in the text. So that's the fun thing people can maybe do, go through and say, hey, like replace their name in the story with what it means. And it can it can bring out all these elements. And to me, this is getting now to like creative engagement with scripture of, you know, not just sticking to, oh yeah, again, here's what I've always heard. Here's the basic meaning of the commentary, but it goes a little deeper than, I know one of the practices that you recommend in the book, and I think you did it with the book of Jonah, was to write the rest of the story when there's not an ending. And that can be, so So maybe we can talk about that, but also then talk about some people saying, well, wait a minute, I, I shouldn't add something that's not there, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, but on the other hand, it's not that we're, we're not adding it to actually then printed in the next copy of the Bible that we're making. So we're not, we're not adding to the Bible in that way. Um, but I think these texts invite that kind of um, engagement with them. You know, the, the book of Jonah, as you, know, you alluded, as you mentioned, I mean, it ends with a, it ends with a question mark. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of like when you listen to a composition, a piece of music, and someone goes all the way through the composition, and then they don't play the last two notes. I mean, it almost makes you crazy. Like you want to resolve that that tension there and hear the ending. And so I think that's, I think that's actually sort of on purpose. I think we are invited to think, well, what, what does Jonah do here? I mean, God is asking a question and we don't know, like what happens next? I want to turn the page and see what does Jonah chapter five say? And there's no Jonah <laughs> chapter five there. So I do think that's, I think we're actually encouraged to, to, to do that and to reflect on that. That's part of the point of the book. It's not just about a prophet who lived a long time ago. It's how do we respond in a similar situation to people who are different from us, maybe people who are enemies, people maybe that we even hate, if we are mm. honest enough to admit that, you know, how how are we, how are we going to respond to them? And do we hear God's words as an invitation to again develop some compassion and care, even for those who are, are radically different from us? Yeah, the story continues to speak today. I mean, that's why that's why they kept them originally, right? It was to remember in order to speak into their life situation. You know, I'm reminded of the parable of, well, however you want to name it, the two lost sons. I think Tim Keller calls it prodigal God, right? The, the story of the son who runs away and comes home, then the elder brother won't come in. And the story ends with the father with the older son, and it doesn't tell us if the older son joins the party or not. And, there, and to me, that's sort of an invitation to say, wait, I'm not going to tell you because you need to decide, will, will you join the party? And of course, that's a New Testament, but I think similar things happen in the Old Testament as well. It's sort of asking you, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the, the, again, these stories are not written, um, I would argue, primarily just to talk about things that happened long ago. They're, even in the time they were written, they were written to, to address the audience in the present. And so I think that that same practice we carry on today, you know, how do, how do these texts you know, speak to us um, now? And how do we um, figure out what to do with them, how we relate to them, how we respond to them um, even today? Yeah, and, and, and I can sort of hear, again, if I, to put myself in the, the mind of someone listening, they might say, okay, I, I get it with a narrative. I get it with a story. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But 
what do I do with these, these genealogies? And what do I do with these stories that just seem horrific and horrible? Where do I go with them? And one of the things you brought up that I absolutely love when I had, I think it was Dr. Bob Eckblad, um, must have been quoting Phyllis Tickle uh, on the don't let it go until it blesses you component. Can you take us into that? Because that, that, that changed my life when I started applying that to the Bible. I, I do think, you know, there are texts that are really, really tough. I mean, that's, I think I do, I think being honest about that is important. So I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat or whitewash um, the fact that there are real, we have real struggles with the Old Testament. In fact, I think that's when you're actually really reading it, when you have some of those struggles and you actually mm -hmm. see the challenges that, that are there. Um, my, my encouragement, you know, is that you, you don't too quickly pass over them or that you don't, simply end with annoyance and kind of set it aside and go on to something else. Because I think it's in the wrestling with some of those texts that you can find um, maybe unexpected um, insights. So it will take some work and some effort, but I, I do really think it's, it's worth it to hang in there with them. There are, there are important things to be, to be gotten from even the most difficult text. And I, I think if we're going to be true to what we say about Scripture, we make you know fairly grand pronouncements about you know being a you know authoritative you know and being useful. If that's true, then we need to find ways to use even the even the more difficult text. Yeah, I, I like the image that comes from Jacob wrestling in Genesis 32, and of course, there's a lot of debate about who was Jacob wrestling with, but. In some sense, he's, I at least interpret this as wrestling with God and is, is sort of blessed for having done this. And the image then of saying, yeah, like Jacob said, you know, I'm not going to let you go to you bless me, right? To do that with the, 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 the passage. And I think sometimes that can be uncomfortable. We can be like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm supposed to just listen to the text, right? I'm not supposed to like wrestle with it. But God, then the name Israel is contends, right? Contends with God, wrestles with God. That seems to be like a pretty awesome invitation. If that's the very name given to God's people, like that's who we are. <laughs> well, I, I do think, I mean, in terms of scripture, it, it, it suggests that we're taking the Bible seriously. I mean, if we're really going to wrestle with it, that means we're taking it seriously. We, we realize that as, you know, people of faith, these texts have sustained, you know, Christians um, for for centuries, and we we realize that there are things in here that we want to uh, hear and see and apply, and so it, we don't simply you know casually dismiss even the more difficult texts, but we we get in there, we grapple with them, we wrestle with them. Um, sometimes maybe we feel like we don't get anything from them, and we can move on to other things, but we come back to them again and we look at them again. Um, so we want to kind of keep in the ring, as it were, and just keep working at these and seeing what 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 kind of insights might emerge. Well, and it's amazing what can happen as we go through life and hit different life circumstances, right? Our age, our change in job, change in geography, even just a new life perspective sometimes seems like it can offer insight to the same old, same old. Yeah, I do think you see, you can see, see things through different lenses as you accumulate more life experience or your situation changes. Um, texts that, you know, you maybe read before that you spoke in one way now speak in a very different way and they may seem more, um, more relevant um, than they, perhaps they did before. It, I think it's also part of the beauty of the Old Testament having so many different um, genres, so many different literary mm. styles. So, you know, what might, you know, attract you at one point um, may be different from what attracts you to another point, and, and that's okay. Um, again, we don't have to 
I don't, I wouldn't say we don't, we don't need to enjoy it all equally all the time, um, <laughs> but we, but we can find ways to, to enjoy various parts of it as we kind of make our way through life. Can you think of a story that you wrestled with and then finally blessed you? Like, Man, I don't know what to do with this, or this is a really tough one. Can you think of an example where you finally had that eureka moment? That's a good question. Um, I mean, one, one text that I have worked a lot with is the whole conquest narrative. Um, so Joshua 6 through 11, where the story is told of, you know, Israel coming into the, into the land of Canaan. And as, you know, as that particular portion of Joshua tells it, it, it appears that they come in and they pretty much wipe out everybody who's there. Now, there are other versions of Israel's emergence in the land and, you know, in Joshua and also in Judges, but in that particular section, it, it, it seems pretty, pretty grim. And so, um, at one level, um, that's really troubling. Um, an image of God who would command people to commit what to me looks like genocide, although that, that term is debated, um, that's problematic. So, you know, what do you do with a story like that? And I, I do think when you begin to think of it, it's like, well, there are some things you can, you can use that story for. One would be even just the simple fact of how um, often that story has been misused by people um, in more recent years to do similar things to other indigenous groups, how they've used that story to say, hey, we're the, we're the new Israel and these people on the land, they're the indigenous Canaanite population. We, we have a divine right to wipe them out. And just how problematic um, using God to justify killing is. So I think that can be something constructive. Or just to look at the story, maybe on a, on a macro level, one of the things that seems to suggest is that um, obedience to God is really, really important. And I tend to think that that's true as well. I don't think that's true in the sense of that means we should go out and kill people. But I think that larger that larger theme that you know obeying God is 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 an important thing that we as Christians do. So I, I do think there are valuable um, insights to draw from it uh, once you kind of wrestle wrestle through it. Yeah, well, with those texts specifically, I know that when you get into Deuteronomy, it may be a a, a different set of questions and. Um, discussions, but with Jericho, for example, I think it's Richard Hess has written a, a bit on this and sort of seeing it as a fortress rather than um, a place where women and children were really present much at all. Uh, where, where have you sort of come to on, on those conquest texts? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that perspective. I, I, I'm not persuaded that that's the case. I, I mean, I tend to think that I mean, in, in the case of Jericho, I mean, women are actually mentioned. So I, I do think these are, we are to sort of envision the entire population, uh, men, women, children, um, infants, elderly, you know, mentally challenged, physically challenged. I mean, the whole, it's the whole group and they're all, they're all wiped out. So for me, it, it is a deeply troubling text. Um, if it is read as this is something that God actually said and did and God wanted Israel to do, um, that's problematic. So I, I, I want to wrestle with it from that level. I, you know, for me, I would just come out and say kind of, I guess, bluntly, I don't think God commands, commanded Canaanite genocide. I don't think that's what God did or that I don't think that's what God does. But having said that, I wouldn't want to say, oh, that's all I need to do with the text. I want to say, no, what else can I hear from this text? Like what other... Um, lessons can I learn from it? What else is in there for me to 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 drive from it? So I still want to work with it in that way. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up I, this Thomas Merton quote, uh, where he says, the point is that becoming involved in the Bible does not mean simply taking everything it says without the slightest murmur of difficulty. It means at once being willing to argue and fight back, 
provided that if we are clearly wrong, we will finally admit it. The Bible prefers, and this, this is the same for me, the Bible prefers honest disagreement to a dishonest submission. That, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it just goes back to, I always find it interesting, if, you know, for example, if I, if I have students read certain texts and I, then I ask them to specifically look at how does, how is God portrayed in, in these texts? Um, for some folks, it's the first time they've really thought about it. Like they've heard the story of Jericho before in Sunday school, but they've always heard it as, oh, this is great. You know, God gave Israelites victory and they took the land, but they haven't really thought about, wait a second, what about the people who were inside the city of Jericho who are getting massacred? Like, what about them? And how does that sit? And then it doesn't sit quite so well because they're actually now really honestly engaging the text. And so they begin to wrestle with it. And we, you know, MSI, when I talk about this, I give them a range of options. Christians have wrestled with those texts for a long time. And so there's lots of different ways folks can, you know, can, try, to, can, can try to think through what does it mean that God is portrayed in this way. Um, but yeah, we have to, we do, I think we should be bothered by those texts. If we're not bothered, I don't think we're really engaging them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing conversation, right? There's an ongoing life to it that, that, even means different things sometimes in different circumstances and and seeing things from different perspectives uh, can really open the door. So I think that's, the, the Bible just brings such a great invitation. But ultimately, if the idea here is we're trying to hear God's voice, and this, this is going to be a little bit of a personal question, so feel free to answer how you will. But when we talk about, man, I, I really feel like I heard God in the text, or I really feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to something that's true. For you, is that, a, is that a feeling you get? Is it a, a thought process? How do you sort of say, man, I really think this is God saying something to me in the text? And, and just to clarify, the reason I ask is because a lot of people are working through, how do I know this is the spirit speaking? How am I arriving at a point? So for you personally, what's that process like, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess it's probably both a thought process and a feeling to some, some extent. Um, I guess I kind of maybe will feel like I, I don't know, hit upon an insight that is spiritually really helpful and really useful and valuable. Um, you know, even something like if you go back to the book of Jonah, you know, in chapter three of the book, it's where Jonah goes to Nineveh after having run away. Now he actually goes, he preaches, and the Ninevites repent. I mean, they they go all out. They fast. They wear sackcloth. Um, they, you know, the king urges them to turn from their evil ways. Even the animals. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's like picture-perfect repentance. This is what Israelite prophets dreamed people would do when they, when they preached their oracles. You know, and so at one level, it's like, okay, well, that's interesting to think about that as a story. But, but what, what intrigues me is to ask the question, well, what do I do when I'm confronted by my own sinfulness? Like, do I, do I look like the Ninevites? Like, do I kind of go all out or do I like, you know, repress it? Or do I try to put the blame on somebody else? You know, how do I actually deal with my own sinful, um, you know, my own sin? So to, again, to take a text and then to be able to say, oh, this actually speaks to me. I can reflect on it. It's helpful for my own spiritual life. That for me is when I feel like, oh, I'm really kind of connecting to these texts in powerful ways. Yeah. Well, and I like how you're constantly bringing it back to where, where do I do this? Because I feel like, and, and I'm not 
excluded from this, but, you know, having led Bible studies in such in church context, it seems like the natural bent that, and, and I don't know if this is something psychologically or spiritual warfare or what's going on, but it's really easy to take the conversation to, yeah, that's where that's happening in our country or in the world or in those neighbors, right? And then it can become a complaint session, right? About, oh yeah, see where that's happening. But do you, do you feel like that happens in, in your experience as well? Well, it's always easier to put it out there somewhere else and have the conversation. I mean, then those aren't not unimportant conversations to have. I mean, we, we need to have those. And we also need to make sure that we're looking at ourselves, too. And I, I do think for me, that's where it's most powerful when the text really kind of seems like it opens up space for me to explore, you know, what's happening in my own my own life and my own spiritual journey um, and in ways that I think maybe could be helpful to other people in their journeys as well. I mean, that's when it, it feels really neat. Kind of, kind of bringing it back home as much as we can. Yeah. So one of the practices we love here at Rua Space is Lexio Divina. And I was so excited to see you bring up Lexio Divina in your book. Can you share with us, you know, we don't need to necessarily go through the whole process. We have, we have space, we have other places where we do that, but just share with me how, how you came to Lexio Divina. Is it something you still return to? What's, what's sort of been your experience with it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I probably should preface this one with, you know, there's a lot of suggestions in the book. Um, I, I'm not saying that I practice all of these. Sure, of um, course, so, of course. So some of this is a collection of things I do. I, I think in honesty, that was probably one that was suggested to me even by a student as something that they found helpful. And so, I, I mean, I do think that is a way of approaching the text, particularly for folks who are maybe really academic and tend to look at the Bible through these very academic lenses. This is, a, this is an approach that can really help you kind of slow down and just maybe take a verse, take a few verses and really sit with it and see kind of what strikes you, what comes out, you know, what do you feel God is saying to you at this moment from this passage? Um, so I think, I think that's, an, that's always a good thing to do. I mean, I always have my, in a sense, my academic hat on, and I don't want to see that as divorced from, you know, a devotional hat. I think those two go together. And there are some times when it's like, you know, you just kind of need to put some of these questions aside for a moment and just kind of like experience the text and see what, see what it, you know, you might feel it, uh, how it might be speaking to you in, in the present moment. So I do think that's a useful practice to, to use. Yeah, I think that I think you 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 hit the nail on the head there. I think that's why I ended up moving toward Lexio Divina because I originally went to school for physics and then changed to religion, MDiv, all of that type of stuff. And so spent years, you know, huddled up in a library, reading commentaries, learning language, studying geography. And I think at a certain point it hit me, man, I, I and, and it went to my heart in a certain sense that the academic was life-giving for me. But there was a time where in my own story, I sort of had to say, okay, I need to stop coming to it, trying to figure it out and sort of let it do its work in me on another level. So th that's probably a little bit of me projecting onto audience Lexio Divina, but it, it was a meaningful thing. But of course, we're all on a journey sort of working through our approach to the text. Sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it, this is a, maybe a slightly off, but I think related. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who um, once said something when someone asked him about, you know, well, how do you do you defend the Bible? And he said something to the effect that I don't defend the Bible any more than I defend the lion. I just open the cage and sort of let it out. And I do mm. think there's this sense of just like letting Scripture engage us and speak to us is really, really helpful. There are certainly times when we do that fine work of 
you know, reading commentaries, we look at original languages, we, you know, do scholars, we look at what scholars have said, and that's all, it's all important. It contributes, I think, to our, you know, devotional and spiritual well-being. And there are other times, and again, we can just simply let the text kind of wash over us and, and see how it might connect to us. Do you have a favorite Old Testament story? I know you're working with Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you have a favorite one, though, where you're like, man, this one just speaks to where I am? Well, one that I really, I mean, one I do really like is the, is back in the book of Exodus. It's the, the story of the manna that comes uh, in mm-hmm. Exodus 16. It's just, I mean, the whole thing is just intriguing. Uh, you know, this manna is coming every morning, but you, and you can collect only as much as you need. If you keep it overnight, it gets nasty. Then on the day, you know, the, before the Sabbath, you collect twice as much as you need, so you don't have to collect from the Sabbath. So it's just, you know, it's portrayed as a miracle the way this is, this is happening. And, you know, this is not original to me, but it was, you know, suggested, and I found it really helpful that this is a story that really talks about how you, how you develop trust, you know, how you develop trust in God, you, you, you know, and, and again, some of these phrases may not be, may not be mine originally, but the idea, like, you, you can't, you can't stockpile manna. I mean, you, you need to trust God to bring it every day. And sort of like we say in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give me this day, my daily bread, not tomorrow's daily bread, but just this day. So I just yeah. think that story, like, how do we actually trust God, you know, day by day? Um, that's a, trust is a powerful concept. And so I really, really like working with that, with that narrative. Yeah, that's, that is a really good story. One worthy of returning to time and again. Now, this question may, may hopefully not stump you. It could, because it's sort of just out of nowhere. But if we're having fun and enjoying the Old Testament, part of enjoying something is, is laughing at or with it sometimes. So not encouraging laughing at the Bible. But for example, when I think of uh, the New Testament, I, I love the story where Jesus puts mud on the blind man's eyes. And then the religious leaders just keep asking him all these questions. And he's like, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And finally, he gives him this zinger of what do you want to become his disciples too, right? Which I just find absolutely hilarious. And I love returning to it because I think it's in there and I think it's meant to be funny. Do do you have an Old Testament passage that you just think is really funny and and, and life-giving? Well, the one that I, I mean, the one that I go to, it's a little tricky because in a sense, it's, it's poking fun at the Philistines, which I'm, again, I'm a little sensitive to because, you know, as I've said, you know, if, if we have no more compassion for the death of a Philistine in the Bible than we do for the death of an orc in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, like something's wrong with the way we're reading. Right. Um, so this is poking fun at a particular group. But I, I just think the story of the of the ark traveling around um, Philistia in, in the book of First um, Samuel is really interesting because it kind of goes to one place and then they develop, you know, there's illness and tumors and things that happen. And so then they have to transport it somewhere else. So again, I don't like the fact that bad things are happening, um, but I like the I like the image of this sort of like being a hot potato. That this is like you can't contain the presence of God. You can't keep it in your in, in a foreign place, so to speak. I mean, it, it needs to be where it's supposed to be, and you can't steal this and try to try to control it as a as a trophy of war. I mean, God is much bigger than that. So I do think ancient Israelites would have had a hoot with that particular story. Um, so there's certainly humor there to to be had. Yeah, and 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 I think that it it sort of 
it may invite us to poke fun at ourselves in, in a sense of where do we try to control God? Like, Hey, I've, I've got it in this little box over here right. and, and you're wrong. And, and maybe we need to laugh at ourselves for trying to control it and be like, man, I, I'm doing that same thing. So that, see, I, I think there's so many yeah, fun things you can do. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting, interesting way to, way to think about it. <laughs> so, so Eric, for, for someone looking to, to dig deeper into the old Testament, to creatively engage it, what me might be oh wow what might be a final word of encouragement or challenge for creatively and uh, joyfully reading and engaging the old testament i think the one thing i would suggest is just to come up with some kind of a plan it doesn't have to be a five-year plan it can just be a here's what i'm going to do with the old testament next week kind of plan i think for many of us we tend to read kind of all over we read a verse here and then maybe a chapter over there and we're in another book and we're kind of jumping around and i think for many of us that doesn't feel very satisfying mm -hmm. so i would simply encourage readers to come up with a plan i mean if you want to look at this book as a way of thinking about different options that's great um but maybe you say like for the next week i'm just going to read this one chapter i'm going to read it every day of the week i'm going to see what new insights emerge from that chapter and see how that goes maybe that is is great and you want to do that the next week or maybe it didn't really wasn't really helpful and so you'll try something different maybe you say well okay next week i'm gonna i'm gonna work on some journaling i'm gonna read i'm gonna like actually journal how this is text is connected with me or maybe that doesn't work and the next week you try it something different we say i'm gonna maybe do some artwork that's connected with an old testament story but i would just say try to come up with a plan for a week or a few weeks or a month and stick to that plan and then reevaluate how that's working if that's working well maybe continue if not you can mix it up and try something else i just think having something in place like that gives us a much more satisfying encounter with the, with the Old Testament than a more haphazard, um, less structured kind of way of engaging it. Oh, that's really good. I appreciate that as well. Well, Eric, if people want to go deeper with you, where can they find you? Where can they find what you're up to, other work you've done? Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I do not have much of a social media presence. I'm working on that, but uh, not a lot right now. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, probably the, the the best way folks want to connect is simply to send me an email, and I'm really glad to respond directly. So so my email is ecybert at messiah.edu. Um, I'm really glad to respond that way. I do. Uh, my wife gave me a a website for Christmas that um, she's going to develop, so that will be coming, but it's but it's not there yet. All right. Well, when you have it, we will drop that into the description okay. below. So whenever Great. people are listening, you can find that and find what Eric's up to. Of course, you can find a link to the book, Enjoying the Old Testament, in the description below. Eric, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. This was an honor. And thank you for this book. Thanks, Bill. It's a lot of fun to talk with you. I really appreciate it. Hey friends, before you go, Phil here again. I just wanted to say thank you for joining us for this conversation today. I pray that something blessed, challenged, and or encouraged you. I do highly recommend going and checking out the book, which you can find in the link in the description below to help you go even deeper with the Old Testament. And then in that description below, you will also find links to all of the things that we offer here at Rua Space, such as our Patreon page with our guided practices and our really great series, our Christian yoga memberships, and a way to set up a free call about one-on-one -on -one spiritual direction. So friends, blessings as you go forth into the rest of your day. Grace and peace be with you.